When I was 15 years old, my stepdad taught me a trade and he was doing carpentry work and construction work. And I was 15 years old. As a 15 year old, when you think about carpentry or building something, you're like, give me a hammer, give me a nail, let's build something together. And of course, I found out real quickly, I was the youngest and I was the one who always had to bring the tools to the guys, you know what I'm saying? Like I'm the one who had to pack the, the cement bags or pack the shingles over here. And instead of installing it, I was just kind of the pack rat, the one who, who brought that stuff. Uh, but I never forget, my, my stepdad taught me a, a trade at the age of 15 of how to put down hardwood floors. And I'm so thankful for that because I actually used that craft and skill to put myself through college to make a little bit extra money as I was going through college. I'll never forget, when you, when you lay hardwood floor, it was very fascinating because it's so awesome to go back and look at it once you finish it. And when we, we, we chalk out a line and we would put a line down and we would get to the wall, and when we get to the wall, we really see how squared the house really was. You know, we run true, we run our floor true, but when we get to the wall, we would see if the wall was out of line, if the wall was out of square. And so, as a carpenter, you wanna have a speed square in your, in your pocket or next to you because you'll be able to see how off the wall is. Fortunately, when it comes to hardwood floor, you're able to overcompensate that. You're able to fix that. You're able to rip it down. And so, when you get to the wall, we would always would see if the wall was square. Very rarely would we ever get ever get to the wall and it would be perfect, it would be true, or it would, it would flow just the way we thought that it would. And I'll never forget my stepdad always tell me, he said, son, sometimes the wall is out of square, sometimes the wall is not true, sometimes the wall is not plumb, and, and as a carpenter, you gotta figure out how to work around that, you gotta figure out how to fix that. And so I'm so thankful that he, would, he taught me that trade. And so there's a, there's a tool out, and this was one that we used a long, long, long time ago. This would be called a plumb blob, just in case you don't understand or haven't seen one of these before. It's pretty fascinating. It's very heavy. It's got a very heavy weight at the end of it. And this is what they would use probably before they had a modern day level. Now there's a few carpenters out there who still would use this, maybe concrete and foundation. You know, maybe in, in other countries that don't have access to modern day things like a level. And but what they would do is they would take this plumb line and they would, they would put it at the top of the wall and then they would drag it straight down and they would let it touch the ground and they would measure over to see if the wall was true, to see if the wall was plumb, to see if it was in place. Now today we have this nice, beautiful four foot ladder. I don't know if it's beautiful, but it looks beautiful to me, it's red. And uh, we would stick it on the wall and we would measure to see if the wall is true, if it's square, if it's out of place or not, if it's running the way it's supposed to do, right? Because you wanna build a house, you wanna build a wall, you want it to be straight. When the Old Testament, God is shown in a vision of actually having a plumb line. I mean, and this is exactly what he had vision, and this is exactly what the prophet Amos would have saw. In fact, let, let me read this to you. In Amos chapter seven, it says this, then he showed me another vision. He is God, showed Amos another vision. I saw the Lord standing beside a wall, and the wall that had been built using a plumb line. This is exactly what a plumb line is, exactly what they would use back in ancient, ancient Egypt, ancient biblical times. He was using a plumb line to see if the wall was straight. They wanted to make sure why they didn't have this. They didn't have a level in place to make sure. They wanna make sure the wall was straight because if you had one straight wall, hopefully you could build straight off of it. And the Lord said to me, Amos, what do you see? And Amos answered, God, I see a plumb line. I see you holding a plumb line to the wall to see if the wall is true, to see if it's running straight how you want it to run. 
And he said, and the answer said, and the Lord replied, I will test my people with the plumb line and I will no longer ignore all their sins. You see, when you are out of square, when something is off, when, when if this was the wall, let me just kind of slide this around here. If this was the wall, this, the level, and this is the plumb line, and the wall is off, the wall is not square, there's a visible issue to an internal root problem. Something's off, the foundation's off, something was not right. If this is what is supposed to be true, and this is the wall, and it's leaning, it's out of, it's not true. I, I thought about titling this Plum Out of Line. You know, that would've been a good title for this. You just plumb out of line, that's what I mean, right? You're you plumb out of line, that's what I'm saying. You're out of line to the standard that I have set for you. And so listen to me, Israel, he says, I'm no longer gonna ignore your sins. I'm gonna put a line of righteousness in place. And you're gonna be able to measure yourself up to that true plumb line to see if, what, let's see, if we're off. Let's see if we're out of line. Let's see if we're not square. Let's see if we're not living the way that we're supposed to be living. Now, fast forward to today, a lot of us, right? Last week, we, did, we started this series called Encounter, and we talked about revival, and, and we all want revival, right? As believers, we want to be revived. We hear what's happening in Asbury. We ask God to continue to bless and spread this out to college campuses. We want to be revived, but last week, we, we kind of defined what revival is. There's a difference between revival and a spiritual awakening. Revival is for the church. Lost people don't need revival, they need vival. It's to live again, it's the church to be revived, so revival is for the church. And if we want God to bring revival, we have to check our hearts and check ourselves. Now what we found out last week is that man cannot initiate revival. We can put signs out, we can schedule it, but we can initiate it. It's a God-initiated movement. But we can prepare, we can play, I mean, pl pray, and, and we can plan. That's what we could do. God, we can get our hearts right, we can pray for it, we can plan, God move, but at the end of the day, we cannot usher in revival. That is a God-orchestrated event. But there are some things that we can do, and as we think about revival and we're thinking about encounter, because what I really hope and pray is that you will encounter Jesus over the next several weeks, but leading up to Easter, that your family, your friends, the people you love the most who are far from God, that they will encounter Jesus because they will encounter you or you will bring them to a place where they can meet Jesus. And so I started thinking about this. What are some of the barriers to revival? As, as believers, right, we wanna be revived. We wanna see our community have a spiritual awakening. We want our schools to be spiritually awakened. We want our college campuses to be spiritually awakened. We want our family members to be spiritually awakened. And a spiritual awakening is a byproduct of revival. You see, when the church is revived, they have the boldness and the audacity to go out and share their faith with boldness. And because they share their faith, guess what happens? Spiritual awakening takes place because of the church has been revived. But what are some of those barriers to revival? What are some of the barriers in your life and my life that will keep God initiating revival in our time, in our church, in our city? And so there's some things I thought about, and in fact, there's only, I, I came down, there's hundreds and hundreds of things, but two symptoms that maybe today we will diagnose ourselves with to say, listen, are we really in position for God to pour out his spirit and break into revival for the church that leads to a spiritual awakening for our community or for our world? And so when I started thinking about some of the symptoms, here's symptom number one. 
Here's when we know we pray for revival, but revival has not come yet. It's because there is a lack of obedience. There's a lack of obedience in our lives. Now, and I know what you're saying. Some of you are saying, like, now, I'm not always disobedient, right? I'm not perfect. That's what cracks me up when people say all the time. You know, I'm not perfect. We know you're not perfect. <laughs> you know, no one is. It is, but they have to preface that. Hey, before I say that, I know I'm not perfect, you know, but, but we know, okay? We know you're not perfect, right? There's no one that is perfect. But the lack of obedience and being disobedient and, and knowingly disobedience, I'm not talking about like you didn't know in ignorance. I'm talking knowingly disobeying what God has commanded us to do. And so I started thinking, what are some areas of our life, just generally, these are just basic, and everyone I'm gonna share you right now, you already know. What are some things in our life that we just, just, just disobey God? And we know we should do it, but we disobey it. And so one, here, here's one. Do we love people the way that Jesus loves people? We've been commanded to love one another. Do we truly, genuinely love people the way that Jesus loves people? Well, come on, it don't take a nanosecond to get on somebody's social media and realize they don't love people. They love themselves. But are they loving other people? How we treat people, how we're kind to people. And so you already know that as a Christian, you already know that we're to show God's love to people. Why do we not do that? You see, we beg God, bring revival, put revival, and God's like, you're not even obeying me on the basic things of Christianity. To show my love to a lost and dying world. In fact, all you show is hate to people. Do you really love me? Are you really showing my love to the people around you? And so that's just basic, are we loving them? Here's another one. Have you, not do you, or if you, have you forgiven the person who hurt you? I'm talking about the one who walked out on you. Maybe hurt you emotionally, physically. I'm talking to one that you still hold a grudge over and just thinking about them makes your blood boil. Have you forgiven the person who has hurt you or wronged you? Or do you secretly hold that in? You see, we want God to bring revival, and God's like, how am I gonna bring revival when you're not even loving people or forgiving people? You need to return, you need to repent and get back to me. I mean, we could keep going on and on. Do we pray regularly? We've been commanded to pray. Are you praying for revival? Are you praying for people to be saved? Are you praying for God? Or is it all about God, me, 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 bless me, bless me, bless them a little bit, heal them, but bless me, bless me, bless me. It's all about me. Like, how is your prayer life? Because if you're not praying, you know what that says? You're arrogant. Because prayer is a dependency upon God. God, I cannot do this without you, therefore I come to you. Because apart from you, I can do nothing, but through your son, I can do all things. So when I do not pray and talk to God, what I'm saying is saying, God, I don't need you. And my life, and a prayerless life, is an arrogant life. Are we even just basically doing the thing, praying? Listen, are you generous? When you see people in need and people in help, do we help those? Are you generous? Are you handling your money the way the scripture tells you to handle it? Are you saving for the rainy day? Are you investing, the Bible says, a little bit to make it grow as it compounds? Are you tithing and bringing God back to him what's his? 
Are we even doing the basics and handling the way the scripture tells to handle our finances? Do you see what I'm saying? We praying, ask God to bring revival. God's like, man, you're not even blessing people. You're not even praying for people. You're not even forgiving people. And you sure don't love people. And you want me to pull my spirit out? Do you see the barriers to revival? See, I think we all want it deep down inside. We wanna see a city awaken. We wanna see God move in our city. We wanna see God heal our land. We wanna see God usher in revival. We want King Jesus to come back. And we're sitting here, we're wondering, but how are we in our hearts, really? Are we really, truly in line with the righteousness of what God wants for us? Are you actively discipling people? You've been commanded to make disciples, you know that? It's not just what the pastor is here for, what the staff is here for. Every single Christian on the planet has been ordained and commanded to go make disciples. Are we making disciples of anybody around us or do you just, just outsource that to the church and hopefully somebody in the church will do that? I mean, we could go on. Are we witnessing to the people around? Are we sharing and showing Jesus in the workplace, at school, at home? Are we showing people who Jesus is? Now think about it. There's the symptoms of disobedience here. You're praying for revival and God's like, you're not loving people, you're not praying for people, you're not forgiving people, you're not blessing people, you're not making disciples for me, you're not witnessing to people, you're not in unity and you want me to bring in revival? What if we fix that? And here's what's so crazy about every one of these. You know what the problem is? When you think about it, you know really what the problem is? That's just the symptoms. You know really what the heart problem is? Do you know why you and I don't obey Jesus, and I'm not preaching at you, I'm right here with you. You know why we, as believers, do not fully obey Jesus? Watch this, even with the basic things that every single one of you know that. I didn't share anything with you just then that most likely if you've been in any church service for any amount of time, you already knew all those things. You know why we don't do it? The problem is not disobedience. We don't have a disobedience problem. We have a love problem. Jesus said it himself in John 14. Listen to what he says. He says, all who love me will do what I say. My Father will love them and we will come and we will make our home with each of them. We will have fellowship with them. Watch this. Anyone who doesn't love me will not obey me. You don't have a disobedience problem. You have a love problem. You have a love issue with the Father. The root of the problem of disobedience is not the lack of knowledge or the ability. You have the knowledge, you know it. You even have the ability to forgive people. You have the ability to love people. You have the ability to bless people. You have the ability to make disciples. You have the ability to share your faith. You know that and you have the ability to do it. The problem is love. Do I truly, really love Jesus? Because when our love for God grows cold, we become more focused on ourselves, and watch this, watch this, and we become less obedient and doing what he has commanded us to do. So you know how to fix that? Very easy. Repent and return to your first love. Very easy. Repent, God forgive me. 
Before I pray and, and ask you to bring revival, God, will you forgive me for not loving the people around me? Will you forgive me, God, for not making this up? Will you forgive me for not witnessing and sharing my faith and my story with people? Will you forgive me? And listen, God says, if you confess, I forgive. That's why there can be no revival without repentance. None. Revival will never break out unless we repent in the church. When the church just does the basic things, the basic things that God has already commanded us to do. So what we do, we repent and we return to our first love. Here's the second symptom, there's only two, so you should be happy. So here's the second, that means I'm, well, halfway done. Is not only do we have lack of obedience as a symptoms in the church, and we see this, here's the big one, we begin to substitute other things in God's place. We substitute stuff for God in our life. And watch this, watch this, we are all guilty of this. Every single one of us, we are guilty of substituting other things in God's place and in our life. And so I, I, I thought of a few here that I wanna share with you. Here's one, it's on the screen. We substitute God's power with our own strength. We substitute God's sovereign power, his power, watch this, with our own power, with our own strength. We begin to do things in our own strength instead of God's power. Listen to what he says, the prophet Isaiah. God says this, what sorrow awaits those who look to Egypt for help? Trusted in the horses and chariots and charioteers and depending on the strength of human armies. You depend on your human strength instead of looking to the Lord, the Holy One of Israel. We do this all the time. That's why the psalmist says, I'm not gonna boast in a horse and chariots. If I boast, I'm gonna boast in the name of the Lord. But we do this all the time. We substitute God's power with the Holy Spirit. I can do this on my own. I don't need God. How do I know that? I don't pray. A prayer life is an arrogant life. I don't need you, I don't depend. I can do this on my own strength. I can make this happen. I'm a self-made person. I've done it before, I can do it again. It's all about me and my strength and no dependence upon the Lord. I will run my business the way I wanna run my business. I'll live my life the way I wanna run my life. I'll, I'll leave my relationships the way I wanna do my relationships. I'll do my family the way I wanna do it. I can do it all in my own strength and I don't need the power of God in my life. Now, you will not say that, right? Every single Christian goes, I want God's power in my life. But why do we live opposite of that? Why do we never look to the Lord for strength until you hit rock bottom? Usually when you hit rock bottom, I mean the lowest you could possibly go, you finally tell yourself the truth and look up. You cannot do it without him. And we wonder why God sometimes allows us to go to rock bottom. Because only then can we look up and we see I cannot break this addiction on my own. I cannot fix my marriage on my own. I cannot restore my finances on my own. I can't bring my prodigal kid back on my own. I can't do all this in my own strength. I have to totally trust and depend on him. And what happens is we substitute ourselves in his place. So we need, watch this, like I said, to repent and return to him. Here's the second thing. We substitute God's wisdom with our own understanding. Isn't it amazing how we think we're smarter than God? We substitute God's infinite, infinite wisdom. 
with our own intellect, with our own understanding, I would say, which is one of the reasons the world's in the way that it is today, because we think the world thinks they're smarter than God. They think we could figure this all out. And so I love what it says in Proverbs. It says, trust in the Lord with all of your heart. Don't depend on your own understanding. Seek his will in all that you do, and he will show you which path to take. See, we wanna, we wanna trust in our own understanding, our own intellect. We think we're smarter than God. I know God said that, but I think we should add to it. I think we could change it. That Bible's so ancient, it's so old school. I know what God says about marriage, but I think intellectually we could redefine that, what it should be. I know what God says about this, but I think we could redefine it. I think, you know, that's just so old school. We're, we, we know more than God. We know more than him. And so what happens, and not even, even in that way, we do it our own. We try to make decisions. Should I take that job or this job? Should I, should I go to this school or that school? Well, which one pays the most? Which one has the best benefits? Which one's gonna bless me the most? As if we think the blessing the most is the one that God wants us to do. So with our own intellect and our own understanding, we won't seek the Lord. We won't ask for his advice. We won't tap into his infinite wisdom. Why? Because we substituted it. We think we're smarter than God. And we think we have all this figured out. Now watch this. And we are begging for revival. God, will you revive us again? And God's like, bro, bro, come here, come here, come here, come here, come here. You're not even loving people, blessing people, helping people, serving people. You've substituted my power with your own strength. You think you could do it in your own. You lean on your own understanding and not my wisdom, and you want me to usher in revival? Repent, he would tell us, if we truly want to see an outpouring of his spirit. So we substitute our own understanding with his and I love how it ends here in verse six. It says, and he will show you which path to take, which leads me to the third thing, is that we substitute God's will, watch this, with our own plans. We substitute God's will with our own plans. None of you know what tomorrow holds, but God does. And we won't even tap into his wisdom and understanding and his power for tomorrow because we think we can plan our lives today. I mean, you don't even have to raise your hand. 10 years ago, 20 years ago, did you ever think you'd be sitting right here where you're sitting today? Would your life look the way that you planned it out that you thought it would look like today? And the majority of you say, no, I didn't think about it. I didn't know I'd still be in Moorhead or whatever city you're watching this from. I didn't think I'd be here. I didn't think I'd be to this church. In fact, I didn't know I would know where I would be. I can't even believe I'm in church today because 10 years ago, I was so far from God, there was no way that I would step foot in a church building. Like, you know that. But we try to plan our life. We said, okay, here's what we're gonna do. I'm gonna plan, I'm gonna work here and do this for a while. I'm gonna stay there that long and I'm gonna, I'm gonna make this figured out. I'm gonna, I'm gonna get this job and when I get to this age, I'm gonna do my best, I'm gonna retire at this. And we make all these plans instead of seeking God's will. God, is this the person you want me to marry? Is this the person that you want me to spend the rest of my life with? Is this the job you want me to have? Is this the city you want me to live into? Is this what you want me and my family to buy? Is this the college you want me to go to? Is this the degrees you want me to major in? Do you see what I'm saying? We think we're smarter than God. We think we can plan our whole life because whatever feels good to you, whatever's best is saying, God, I'm not gonna move until you show me, until you tell me what your will is for my life. The half-brother of Jesus, James, writes this, and I love this. 
He says this, he says, look here for you who say today or tomorrow we're going to a certain town and we'll stay there a year. We'll do business there and we'll make this much money. How do you know what your life will be like tomorrow? Your life is like the morning fog. It's here for a little while, then it's gone. What you ought to say, if the Lord wants me to marry them, if the Lord wants me to live there, if the Lord wills it for me to have that job, if the Lord wants us to do that, then we will do it. This is the half-brother of Jesus who said, then we will do it. We will do what God wants us to do, not make our plans, we will trust the Lord. We'll do our very best to plan. I think you should be frugal in planning, especially the Bible says when it's saving up finances for a rainy day, look at the ants, they save and all this stuff. There's some wisdom in that. But when you become your God and you substitute God's will with your own plans because you think your plans are better than God, he says, you better wait a minute because your life is so short. You might not even make it to tomorrow. They interviewed Billy Graham of course, you know, Billy Graham died a few, several years ago, and he was in his late 90s, and they asked him, what's the biggest shocking thing in your entire career of ministry? You, you, you've had a wonder, you've preached to millions and millions of people, millions and millions of people have been saved. You've, you've worked with several presidents of the United States. You've esteemed to the highest level. Like, at the end of the day, what's the biggest shocker? What's the biggest thing in your life? He said, the biggest shocker in my life is the brevity of it. I cannot believe how fast it's gone by. He's in his 90s. Because life is so short. For us to try to do our life in our own strength, our own power, and our own plans. Because what happens is when this takes place, when this takes place, we substitute God's blessing with our own pride. And I don't know if you know this or not, but God hates pride. The devil became the devil because of pride. And God can't stand pride. And what we do when God blesses us, we substitute his blessings with our own pride. Because here's what happens. It was in our strength with our understanding and our planning that led to this blessings in my life, and then we're filled with pride. And I will tell you this, revival will never break out where there's pride. And we want revival. So just think about this. Think about this. God, would you bring revival and God's like, are you loving my people? Are you blessing my people? Are you serving my people? Are you witnessing for me and making disciples? Are you trusting in your own strength, your own wisdom, your own intellect, your own power, your own understanding? Are you trusting in the blessings that you already have and you want me to bring revival? Here's what he would say to every one of us, repent and return to your first love. Deuteronomy 8, he says this. When you're blessed, and let me go on and say this, no matter how impoverished you may be, all of us are blessed. All of us are blessed. 
So God has poured his blessings out. Some have more than others, but we are blessed people. And listen to what he says. At that time when you realize you're blessed, look what he says. Be careful. Beware that in your plenty, you do not forget the Lord your God and disobey his commands. Disobey his regulations. Disobey his decrees that I'm giving to you today. For when you have become full and prosperous and have built fine homes to live in, and when your flocks and your herds have become very large and your silver and your gold have multiplied along with everything else, be careful. Do not become arrogant. Do not become proud at that time and forget it was the Lord your God who rescued you from the slavery in the land of Egypt. See, what happens is in our own strength, own planning, own intellect, own wisdom, we get a little our own kingdom, our stuff. And we begin to realize, you know what? We did this. It was my hard work. It was my skill, my intellect. It was me. It was my plans. I made the plan to come here, and it was a bright plan. It was a great move, and look what, how we've been blessed. And God's like, whoa, 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 whoa. When you realize how blessed you are, don't you become arrogant and think you did this. Because I want you to know that it was God who woke you up this morning and gave you breath. And if it wasn't for that, it doesn't matter how smart, it doesn't matter what you, it is his sovereign He woke you up this morning because he has a purpose and plan for you. That he is not finished with you. And so that is my prayer for us is that we would repent and return to our first love. So I have two invitations, two invitations. The first one, if you're here this morning or you're watching online any of our locations and you've never given your life to Jesus, you believe about Jesus, you've heard about Jesus, maybe in Sunday school you walked an aisle or you, you backslidden or whatever you wanna call it or you've, you, you turn your back on God, whatever, or you're like, man, I just, I've never surrendered my life to him. I believe, I know about him, but I've never given my life. See, as a kid raised up, I believe there was a God. I believe Jesus even died, but I never surrendered my life to him until I was a junior in college. And so here's what I want you to know. God has set a plumb line, a plumb line of righteousness, a plumb line that is perfect, that is true, which is his son, Jesus. Jesus is the measuring of the plumb line. He is sinless, he is holy, he is perfect. And when you measure yourself up to Jesus, no matter how good, I'm talking to those of you who don't know Jesus who are lost, no matter how good you think you are, well, I'm not that bad preacher, and, and I, you know, I, don't, I don't do like the gross sins, you know, I come to church, it doesn't matter how good you are. You can never give enough, read enough, show up enough, to make you right with God. Only Jesus could do that. So when you stack yourself up according to the true righteousness of Jesus, to the true plumb line of Jesus, listen to me, you will always be out of square. And you will never be good enough. And that's why some of you beat yourself up. Because I'll say I'll never be good enough. And guess what, the Bible already said that, you won't be. So how do I get right? How do I get square? How do I get plumb? How do I run true? Well, the Bible is very clear. 
that if you will confess with your sins, that you will confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and ask him to forgive you of your sins, guess what he would do? Jesus, the true righteous plumb line, will come into your life, live in your life, and guess what happens? He will make you true. And now, not because of your goodness, but because of what Jesus did on the cross will make you right with God because you can never make yourself true. Only Jesus can do that. So my question is, what would hold you back from leaving here today knowing that God has made a way for you to be true, for you to be righteous, for you to come to him? By confessing Jesus Christ as Lord and returning and repenting of your sins. And that is what the scriptures and the Lord ask you to do this morning. Would you turn to him and put your faith in the true righteous one, the only one who is perfect, which is King Jesus. Here's a second invitation. Believers, Jesus is still the measuring rod. He is still perfected. He's still the plumb line. So what happens now is I give my life to Jesus and now he makes me right with the Father. And you know what happens over time sometimes? We allow unconfessed sin to come in our life or let's go and let's make it this simple. We don't love people the way Christ loves the church. We're not in unity. We don't bless people. We substitute his presence with other idols. We substitute his power with our own strength. And guess what happens? We now get farther and further away from the true righteous. Now what is broken here between the two is our fellowship, not my relationship. I'm an adopted son of King Jesus. My name has been written in the Lamb's Book of Life. I am part of the family of God. I've been adopted, I am joint heirs with Jesus. Not my relationship. I am a son, adopted son of King Jesus. You're adopted daughter of King Jesus. But what has shifted here? What's out of plumb is our fellowship. And so how do we fix this? Very simple, repent. And when you will confess your sins, he is faithful and just to forgive you of his sins and restore back the fellowship. Repentance is not what you do just one time you get saved. We constantly to repent when we, watch this, turn away from God and do what? We substitute.